City smashed at Anfield, but we're not too downhearted here at For Fox's Sake because we're ruling Europe and we've got Fulham in the Premier League on the horizon. All this and much more on For Fox's Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me in For Fox's Sake HQ2 over the airwaves, it's a Rob Hayes who hopefully, Rob, you're not too downbeat after... Let's face it, it was a pre-Christmas stuffing at Anfield. I like the phrase. Not too downhearted, no. Um, We'll go into it in a little bit more detail uh, as the podcast unfolds. But essentially, we said on last week's preview that this was not a game on which our season would ride. It wasn't the be-all and end-all. And, and any kind of point or positive performance would have been a bonus. We didn't get that bonus and I think um, here at the podcast, we echo the sentiments of the manager. It's quite an easy one to analyse and we move on to the next very swiftly. Yeah, a real comprehensive defeat away at Anfield. It wasn't a pleasant watch. It was pretty obvious early on what was going to happen. And it's just a, it's a real shame. But because of the fixture list the way it is, we haven't got long to wait until our next game on Thursday away at Braga and then on Monday Fulham etc etc and it rolls on two games a week now just to go straight to the three word reviews because it really does tell the story on Twitter uh, and Dickens another long ball we've got could have been worse uh, by Indie Foxes which is definitely my kind of sentiments uh, another one one battle could have been worse massive opportunity missed by Jack Wright's uh, one big oof worst 2020 uh, performance by Glenn and uh, and plenty more along those lines let's head over uh, to Facebook so just switch over to the old Facebook 12 of them here here we go um, will we learn absolutely completely outplayed uh, too much respect given the runaround uh, midfield looks unbalanced, um, piss poor planning and passive and unexpiring. Uh, we've got Barnes, Door. Hang on, this is good. Barnes, Barnes, Door. I like that. Um, and we've got uh, a few along the same kind of lines, etc. Ain't top four. Patrick Hook at the end there. Um, yeah, pretty much sums it up. And uh, w- well, we've got to go into the game. And we've got to look at the game. And first of all... I think it's a bit of both. I'm putting it down as a poor performance by Leicester. I haven't really got a player, apart from maybe the goalkeeper, who probably got an average mark. You know, you're talking 7 out of 10. How many players reached that mark? Not many for me at all, really. So it was a disappointing performance by Leicester. But I think it was a above-average performance by Liverpool. And when you put the two sides together that will always be a win for Liverpool if those two things happen. And that's a basic way of looking at it. But overall, that's the case. First of all, I think we kind of got away with a 3-0 there. It could have been 5 or 6. should have really been 5 or 6. And we move on. But we 
look at the game in its entirety and we look at the Leicester players and how they performed individually as a team. And I just want to ask you, Rob, do, do you kind of follow my sentiments? Do, do you agree with me that it was a, a poor Leicester performance? But also, to balance it out, I, I think Liverpool played well, played very well, and did a, a real number on a side that you think now Liverpool, they've really got the hood over Leicester at the moment, haven't they? They have, yeah. I think if if you had a, a sort of 8 out of 10 team average, if, if all Leicester players averaged 8 out of 10 and all Liverpool players um, averaged 8 out of 10, then most of the time you're still going to go for a Liverpool win because they're the reigning champions. The individual quality that they possess is greater than ours. Um, they've been playing this sort of philosophy and this squad has been built over a longer period of time than ours. So they're ahead of us in every way, shape and form. So in order for us to have got a result against Liverpool, it would have needed to have been us overperforming and them either performing at expected level or even underperforming. So the fact that the gap was widened by us not being at the races really uh, and them being properly on top of their game, obviously they're missing some key players uh, and it's quite frightening to think that they could play even better than that. But yes, they, I think they, they put in a really, really strong performance. Um, and one that, obviously for them, one game against Leicester, one victory at Anfield against Leicester is not um, season-defining for them as much as it wasn't season-defining losing to Liverpool for us. But I think in terms of all of the opponents that we've faced so far this season... I think that this this game on Sunday underlines the fact that Liverpool are consistently the best side in the league yet again. And I, and I know it's early doors. We're, what, nine games in for most teams. But if, you, if we're taking this from a Leicester point of view, if you base it on the opponents we've faced so far, I think we played a similar style. Um, we, we kind of played halfway between the approach that we had against Arsenal and the approach we had against Man, Man City. Um and, you know, our approach against Manchester City worked. We we found their frailties and we put in what was one of the most impressive results in, in recent Leicester history. Um, but that proves that Manchester City have got that little soft underbelly, haven't they? Whereas Liverpool very rarely will put in a below-par performance and Sunday was certainly the opposite of that. I thought they were really, really good and... It was maybe a game or two, well, a game too far for some players in in the Leicester squad. We're going to go through them individually or or certainly groups-wise in terms of uh, positional units, but I think there are a few. Our strength in depth was found out when we compare our similar injury lists to Liverpool's. Yeah, you look at injury lists and you look at the amount of games played. I, I, I think really you can kind of throw them away for this game because they've had plenty of injuries, so have we. They've played plenty of games, so have we, internationals. And I, I really don't think it matters because of the run that we were on before this. People say, oh, maybe it's because players are tired, etc. Yeah, that's granted. But again, you look at the form we're on and against the side we're playing against. If we were playing against the side... Uh, let's say, for example, a side lower down the league who haven't been playing in Europe and also don't have maybe their first team has six or seven players who don't play international football, then maybe you could use that as an argument. I just don't think this time, I don't think it counts at all. And 
I think it's a good idea actually to go through the side, but maybe into areas, you know, defensive units and sides of the field. And you look at the Liverpool side, their left side is exceptional. Robertson had a, had a fantastic game. And then you got um, Sadio Mane on the left side of their forward line. So you've got arguably the best left-sided attacking player from a defensive position in the league. I don't think that's really kind of uh, easily argued against with Robertson. And then you have Sadio Mane, who's one of the best forwards in the league, has been for an awful long time, and I think is just an exceptional player. And they're playing together on that side. I think with Robertson, he was on fire. He he really was on form. And have they targeted that area? We're missing our two first-choice fullbacks, who will be the first-choice fullbacks. Or Brighton really made a bit of a mess there on the second goal. What was he doing? Diving in like that and exposing one of the best crosses of the board in the league to the Leicester back line. Wesley Fofana on that side had a had a, a very interesting game. And those two players together just couldn't handle Robertson and Mane, which when they're on form, an awful lot of players won't, an awful lot of teams won't. Uh, a rest, uh, the rest of the back line, if we concentrate on those, well, Johnny Evans, it, difficult in the centre against these players, but also... Uh, missed time a few um, a few chances to step out of defence, a few chances to um, play the offside line. The three in the back weren't as in line as they have been. And when they were playing slightly outside of the penalty area against Liverpool, they tried to, or at least two of the three tried to on occasion. So the communication wasn't quite there. And of course, the own goal as well by Evans. Then you've got Christian Fuchs, who was always going to be exposed for pace. I think I said in the in the previous podcast, I mentioned that maybe having Justin in one of the centre-half positions alongside um, Evans and Fafana might be an option because of his pace. And Fuchs got the run around, really. And, and, and most of the attacks came on the opposite side to say Justin. But, uh, you know, he would say covered himself in glory, but I'd say one of the better outfield players. And so you look across the back line and, again against a very good opposition on their day there were poor performances and 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 there were and there were performances where i think they were just kind of the they were shown up and that's no offense to them that's not saying that they're poor players it was just their deficiencies were exposed by a very good side and i i'll just really rest on Fafana. i tweeted actually during the game saying uh, from the for fox ache uh, Twitter handle at FFS Pod saying that Fana just needs to calm down. It was the first game he's really been not exposed, but he was quite jumpy. He was, you can see, really excited. A big game, the biggest game for him uh, in a Leicester shirt probably to date. And he's playing against the best opposition to date, I would say. And he was jumping into tackles. He was found out on a number of occasions uh, by being a little bit gung-ho, but also he made some really important tackles and he managed to wrestle uh, Mane off the ball and bring the ball out of defence, and he did some really good things. But I think overall, he just needed to to slightly calm down. He was, he was just a bit too erratic, uh, but still showing his undoubted talents. And when I say calm down, you know, five minutes later, Albrighton, does what he did, and he's like, oh no, I'll scrap that and I'll change it to Albrighton. But Schmeichel had a good game, but it, it really could have been more. And again, 
I'm not saying change any of their back line. I'm not saying that they're not good enough. It's just against this opposition. They're, the deficiencies that they have, and pretty much every player in the world has, in fact they do, they were just uh, they were exposed by a good side. They were. It's, it's difficult in terms of mentality for this game. Um, like you say, somebody like Fafana, um, especially because he missed um, the international break because he had a, a bit of a niggle in his knee, so he, he didn't actually play with France under-21s. So all he'll be thinking about for for the whole international break is making sure he's all right and then stepping up to the big stage of the Premier League against the reigning champions. You're absolutely right. It's the biggest game he's played in a Leicester shirt. And for a 19-year-old who, I mean, you don't know what goes through his mind, but in, in many people's eyes, he's still um, trying to justify the price tag. There are still... Um, there is still a lot of attention on him as a 19-year-old defender worth £30 million, and and, and that's just the na- nature of the game. And yes, he probably got himself too hyped up for the game, and yes, that led to some good things, in- including some impressive surges from defence with the ball, but it also led to some um, moments where he probably could have been a little more conservative with his defending. I know that's not really his approach, but y- you know, you've got to bide your time sometimes uh, and make sure that you're doing the right thing at the right time. It's difficult for players like Evans, Fuchs or Brighton, very experienced players, but regardless of who you are on a football pitch, if basically from the first whistle you're aware of the fact that you're going to be under the cosh from some of the best attacking talents in the world, let's face it, that they're playing in the Premier League champions um, first eleven, so that they're going to be some of the best players in the world. And you know that's coming for 90 minutes. And you can you, you get a sense quite early on that your team are probably not going to be quite at it. Uh, and and that, that unfolded very, very swiftly in the early stages. I think you and I watching it, Pete, from a um, nothing more than a lifelong Leicester fan and and you know we've watched a few quite a few games through the eyes of a commentator as well but it didn't take um a football genius to recognize in the first 15 20 minutes that we were going to be up against it so as a defender you you kind of in a position where do you think um like Wesley Fofana do you get yourself overly sort of involved in it or do you become more apprehensive and start making errors that you wouldn't necessarily usually make and I think it went the other way for the rest of the defence in in Albright and Evans and Fuchs's case I think another problem with the, with the shape that we played was the fact that Liverpool have always played this front three for as long as you know people can remember under Jurgen Klopp and you've got Fuchs on the left side of the three and a slightly irrational Fafana on the right-hand side of the three. And all you've got to do is stick a ball in the channel behind the wing-back and you're going to have so much joy. And and Liverpool did that with Mane down one side and, and Jota usually down the other. And it was, it was a difficult game for the wing-backs because you've got those full-backs in, in Robertson, especially down the left-hand side. I, I, I agree with all the points you made about him. But Milner playing right-back for a large proportion of the game as well. Incredible quality on the ball. He's he's an exceptional professional. And he he got the ball quite often where, you know, um, on the left-hand side, it was it was typically Barnes if, if Leicester had got set into sort of a 5-4-1. But 
Barnes has always wanted to come inside and, and look to get involved. So Milner had a lot of time on the ball. And then Justin has to go and step towards him to apply some kind of pressure to the ball. But Milner's got such quality that he was spinning that ball into the channel and Fuchs could not cope with it. And Liverpool got so much joy from that. I won't say direct style of play because it's not exactly Stoke City lumpered up to Peter Crouch, but it was very measured quality balls into the channels that really cut us open time and time again and it, it, it exposed the defence for, for what it was. I agree with you. There's no there's no call here to say that was an absolute shocker. Let's pull them all out because we've been praising the defence week on week um, in recent times and how well Fuchs has done coming into the side uh, and what a talent Fafana is. None of that changes because of this result, but a few of their... Um, deficiencies, I like the term that you used there, were, were definitely exposed by a very clever and a very able Liverpool side. Yeah, he had a great game, didn't he, Milner? And the way I, I mentioned Justin, he made a very clean tackle, which he got booked for, which is a terrible decision, really, by the referee. But um, I, I thought overall, even though Milner was really on his game, along with most players in a red shirt, I think he, he handled himself OK. And I'm surprised we didn't get more kind of joy down that side in an attacking sense. In midfield, Mendy, they bypassed Mendy very easily and Tillemans probably had his worst game of the season by far. Well, obviously, it's Leicester's worst performance of the season, worse than, for me, the Villa game and, and the West Ham game, even though when you look at it on paper, those defeats at home probably are worse, but not really because this, this was by far, I think, the worst performance. And... Um, it, it, it really didn't click for them in midfield, even when they had the ball. Tillemans just misplaced pretty much every pass and, again, just overran. And and then the forward three, where you've got James Madison, who was, apart from the attempted back heel that hit the defender's hands, I, I don't think there's really any kind of... From, from me anyway, is it handball or not? Well, with the rules at the moment... You can easily say yes, but then again, it wasn't given. No, it was it obvious? Was it stopping a goal? Um, it's it's a it's an awkward one for me. If it happened at the other end of the field, which is the first thing I think of, if that happened at the other end, if it's a contentious decision, would I be happy or unhappy? I'd be livid if that was given against Leicester. Absolutely livid from a Leicester point of view and putting a neutral hat on point of view. So there we go, and they weren't given any service. But I think Madison had a poor game. He lost the ball when he had the ball, um, a trait that he's really has worked hard and he's eliminated an awful lot from his game. But it was there uh, for all to show. But again, not singling the guy out. Barnes, uh, again, we've got that one chance for Barnes. If that goes in the back of the net, all can change. I was on a, a podcast the other day and a Leeds fan was basically saying if Leeds score the first goal, then Leicester aren't going to win that game. Well, yeah, fair enough, but it didn't happen and we ended up winning very, very comfortably. If Barnes scores that goal, do they run out easy winners, Liverpool? Maybe not. Maybe everything changes. Who knows? It's the sliding doors aspect of, of football. It's been like that for hundreds of years. So... And and it was a it was a miss and it was a bad miss and he and as you heard with the three word reviews he needs to work on his finishing he needs to work on either hitting the target or placing the ball better because this time it was a placed effort and his technique was poor but when he's one on one with the goalkeeper sometimes he goes for power when you think hang on you should have placed that and then sometimes. 
he goes for a place in the ball when Powell would normally have beat the goalkeeper, maybe from a shot inside the penalty area, not on a on a one on one situation. We know he is getting there. That dinky chip in Europe kind of uh, kind of proved that, and his and his confidence in goal in front of goal will hopefully build. But um, that was a bad miss, and he going one one or we level up at one one halfway through the first half. It wasn't that long actually after they scored, and and who knows what happens, but. Still, they weren't on form. Uh, Vardy is probably the only one where you can look at and go, well, actually, there wasn't an awful lot for Vardy to do, living off scraps, etc. So, you know, could he have done better? Well, it's, it, overall, it doesn't doesn't really matter in the end. But uh, I don't think anyone really is exhumed from any criticism, uh, probably apart from Casper, made a number of good saves. Handling was very good. And, um, and yeah, it was just a bad day. But one person not performing obviously hinders other players because it's it's the whole the way a team plays one part of the engine doesn't work properly it affects other other places if Tillemans isn't passing is very good then he can't set free the likes of Barnes if Madison's touches off he's not going to play the, the ball through to Vardy if the defenders are off their game if one of them he could let the ball through for an opponent who scores and then you're behind in the game but I don't think you can label it at one or two or three players. I would just overall say it was just Leicester were off. And is it because they've got a hoodoo over Leicester? Maybe. Because at the moment it's feeling that way. Every time we turn up to play Liverpool, the, the games that we look back on, the success recently, the the Vardy goal when we won the league, the, 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 the very good win just after Ranieri was sacked under Shakespeare, his first game. And they kind of seem a, a way away now even Maguire his equaliser and, and Vardy scoring really early at Anfield we're now looking at well actually it was the game on Boxing Day where Liverpool came to town in the top of the table clash and they absolutely spanked us and then went on to win the league and we ended up falling out of the top four and this game where we're again top of the league riding high and we go there and get absolutely spanked maybe it's just that Liverpool have been have been driven to success against Leicester by Jurgen Klopp. Look, these are very dangerous, Leicester. They will beat you. They have got all the tools to beat you. And most of the players have been there, and they have beaten them. And they need to be absolutely right at the top of their game. And it's possibly alongside Manchester City and the obvious game, say, against United and Everton, it's probably their next biggest game. Behind the scenes, who knows? That could be the case. It could really rally Liverpool so much. And they have just turned up and, and, and done a right number on us. And and there we go. That's really kind of what I want to say, the last thing I want to say about the game, because there is no use on us really dwelling on this. I think we've kind of covered that now. But no, you obviously go on, Rob, about what we uh, what I've just mentioned there regarding you know some of the players and their performances. But... Uh, there we are. Well, whatever Jurgen Klopp said, it worked, didn't it? Because Liverpool were absolutely at it. And whether it's a Liverpool-Leicester thing, whether it's the fact that we have shown in the early stage of the season that we're going to be in and around that kind of area of the table, hopefully for, for the rest of the season, which makes us a direct rival for a league position, maybe. Um, but whatever he said, Liverpool came out and they and they played like the defending champions and we didn't particularly play like the team that were top of the league and deservedly so we've been uh, removed from that position for the moment. Um, 
One of the three word three word reviews said um, that the midfield looked unbalanced, and again, yeah, we weren't expecting any positive three word reviews from that from that game. We've just been beaten three 0 could have been double, and you were you were within your rights to say things like that. But we've been absolutely gone on and on and on about our our praise of Leicester's midfield this season. Um, was it a case of lack of balance? Maybe. Was it simply a case of Liverpool were playing three central midfielders as they do? You know, that they play the 4-3-3 and we were only playing two in Tielemans and Mendy and they just had too much to do. I think that was probably the case as well. Uh, Madison and Barnes couldn't really get involved going forward or coming backwards. So they were kind of stuck in limbo. Um, but, you know, yes, Mendy's great at breaking down the play, but is he great at breaking down the play when he's got an entire... Uh, Liverpool midfield three trying to play through him equally I've got to praise Liverpool's pressing game we we tried to press them and they played out so confidently and so um, swiftly through our press whereas we could not get out we could not play through them and that's testament to the way that they approach the game, how well drilled they are, how hardworking they are. It's not just 11 quality players on a field. It's a, it's an outstanding coach. It's a tried and tested system. And the press that we managed to get so much success from against Manchester City essentially worked in the opposite way against us on Sunday. Our press just didn't work because Liverpool was so good in possession. And their press did work because we couldn't... We couldn't keep the ball. Yeah. Do, do, um, do you think that anything would you have changed anything? I was just trying to think then when you when you were uh, talking about say the, the the balance in midfield, one of the three word reviews. I cut the only thing I I said before the game in my prediction. I think you agreed was maybe Dennis Pratt starting as one of the front three to help on that right side, their left, which ultimately was was where an awful lot of the danger came from. I think that would have been the only change for me. Uh, maybe during the game, the two wing-backs could have maybe swapped over, possibly, if they thought that would have been an, an option. And apart from that, I don't think there's really any... I'd love to, and it's a very obvious thing to say, have Castagna and Ricardo in the side. I think that would have made an awful lot of difference to the game. And I, I just think maybe not having someone like Pratt in the first team to offer a bit of support, but... Then again, when I saw the first team, I went, right, there we go. We're going to go for it. We're going to try and catch them in the first 20. And that's pretty much what I hoped would have happened. And it just didn't work out. So overall, yes, in hindsight, maybe one or two things I would have changed. But overall, I can't really see any unbalance in the side. It was just it was, it was just a, a, a very easy win for them in the end because they played well and we were very poor. Yeah, that was my response to the starting lineup as well. We It was the main sort of talking point in our preview, wasn't it? It was the only real outstanding position where we were trying to decide who would start. And it was basically, would it be Pratt and then Madison or Barnes? Or would it be Madison and Barnes with Pratt on the bench? And the fact that we started with Madison and Barnes, I, I liked. I thought it's positive. It... It me it means that we're going to be more like the approach we had against Man City rather than the approach we had against Arsenal. In hindsight, would Dennis Pratt have helped to have keep uh, to have kept and Andy Robertson a little bit quieter? Possibly, probably, who knows? But I like the fact that that Madison and Barnes both started because, like you say, if Barnes scores that goal, and it, and 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 Liverpool don't sort of 
establish as much control in the game as they managed to. Then Barnes and Madison get on the ball a little bit more, and all of a sudden we'll be sat here praising Brendan Rodgers, saying, well, tactically, he got it spot on because he went for two attacking midfielders to support Vardy, rather than Dennis Pratt, who, yes, gets forward, yes, has got good energy, but you can rely on him to do a more solid midfield job, whereas Barnes and Madison both starting is a statement of intent, and you've just got to hold your hands up and say on Sunday it didn't work, and that's probably because of the level of the opposition uh, more than anything. Now, I just want to touch on Harvey Barnes' chance before we move on. I know we want to get on because we're half an hour through and we're still jabbering on about Liverpool, but um, the Barnes' chance is a good chance because he's in the penalty area and he's not under a huge amount of pressure, what I will say is, is it's a difficult one because it's coming across him and it's and it's coming on the bounce. However, he plays in the Premier League for a team that wants to be pushing for a top four place and he's playing against the defending champions where chances are not going to very often come to him on a plate, on the floor, trickling towards him for him to pick his spot and have as much time as he likes. So, yes, it was. I, I think it was a more difficult finish than, than maybe you gave it credit for there, Pete, but it's absolutely still one that he needs to be scoring because... That's ultimately the difference at, at this level against that kind of opposition. Yeah, certainly, and and, and fingers crossed he he does, uh, and I think he will. And yeah, I think I think we can kind of draw a line really under the Liverpool game because there is so much to look forward to. European games, a home game, then against Fulham on Monday. Uh, one thing we we should really do is just mention for those listeners who maybe didn't catch last week's episode, uh, the winner of our competition. Many thanks once again to everyone who entered our winner Leicester shirt competition. The winner was Bruce Tolley, uh, who hasn't got his shirt yet because he wants the extra-large maroon shirt. Hello, Bruce. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, the club don't have any at their shop or um, I think there's only one official other seller of the shirts out there. Um, and they don't have that size as well so at the moment uh, he hasn't got his shirt but I did uh, email uh, the club our good friends down there Donna and uh, and Jim um, and uh, and they said they'll be uh, getting new stock any moment now so there we go so he'll have his shirt as soon as possible and hopefully he'll be able to take a picture of himself with the shirt and then we can show everyone the the winner of the uh, of the shirt and and again we will have a competition before christmas um probably along the same lines maybe to win some vouchers maybe to use in the shop in the new year that would be a nice thing for people etc etc uh, maybe to use online as well uh, but we'll see so uh, well done to bruce once again and for everyone else who uh, entered many thanks and uh, again, we'll do another one before Christmas. Now, uh, I think uh, at this time, I asked uh, a few people online, well, I put it out online, any questions regarding uh, Leicester this week? And a few came in regarding uh, the performance of the under-23s. Now, great news there with Ricardo playing. Played an hour, um, and at the moment, there's no reports of any flare-up of injuries and played okay, but he's got some minutes under his belt. So that's great news. And uh, a really good performance by Damari Gray. Remember him, Rob. Damari Gray. He's not in the squad for Europe, so he can't play on Thursday. And, well, he's just really fallen out of favour. Something, obviously, has happened behind the scenes. It really has. There were things where he, he kind of... Um, he deleted everything to do with Leicester on, on social media, etc. a while ago. And it, Summit's obviously kind of kicked off. Now, hopefully this is the, the first step along the lines of maybe, you know, building a few bridges, etc. Maybe with people at the club, who knows. But uh, a really good performance, really good goal. 
Um, they were down to 10 men, I think, in the 23s. Um, and there's uh, one or two, I think Slamani played in the game as well. Uh, and one or two questions, just go through these. Um, with Gray probably off in January and an ageing Albrighton, do you think another winger should come in in January? Um, do you think maybe a young, quick heir to Vardy striker as well? Any names? That's from John O'Towers. There's actually uh, a few actually similar. Um, Canadian Foxes says, I'd love to see... Um, Oh, he, he does actually mention before that. I don't want to heavily criticise Barnes because he does bring 100% into games, uh, game in, game out. Um, however, quite concerned with his finishing capability, which we've mentioned. Um, do you think uh, it would warrant Brendan Rodgers and company to add an additional winger in the January transfer window? So there are um, similar questions there. And... I don't think so. I think we have the wingers. We've got Cengiz Under, who's making strides towards first-team Premier League football, uh, starting Premier League football on a regular basis. You've got Barnes. You've got Madison, who can play in those roles. You've got Dennis Pratt, who can play in them roles. You've got Mark Albrighton, of course, who would normally be playing in those roles. Um, you've also got Demari Gray. And you've got Iosi Perez, even though I don't quite like him in those roles. Uh, so there's, there are plenty of options. I think at the moment, regarding that question, it would be the striker. And I think the striker and the winger argument, really, when it comes to the transfer window, for me, it's the same. And that's if the player's out there, then get them. If there is a player who plays on the wing, who is, they believe, a real step or a couple of notches above what we have... So similar maybe to a Fafana where it's just too good a player and too good an opportunity to turn down regardless of the money. Um, go for him. So even if it could be anywhere in the side, uh, it could be a goalkeeper. Let's just say there is a, a, a fantastic keeper out there. Well, we've got one, but if players there, get them. Centre forward wise is obviously the big issue and it's a question we've we've debated and, and, and many a time. Again, it just depends on the player and is there a concerted effort at the club to try and find the next Jamie Vardy. Yes, I believe so. I think that's the number one target. Who that will be, don't know. I still think that Edward, with the dramatic and not too um, displeasing kind of drop away of form of Celtic at the moment with uh, the obvious links regarding Brendan and their fans and the obvious Chris Sutton kind of comments about Celtic, uh, they're massive drop-off in form would obviously raise the chance then of Edward moving south of the border and I think he would be a great signing. Cost a fair few quid but in January why not? I think he would be a really good fit. I think there would be another maybe striker as well in the pipeline alongside him to replace Vardy overall but if they're serious about him then I think that they'll try and why not try in January? Why not try and and, and, and do what we didn't do last year, and that's strike while the iron's hot. Whilst we're in a good position, hopefully we will be by then. And we uh, and we try and bolster our team whilst we're playing well and in a good position. But I don't think we immediately need to address the wingers. No, ultimately, you know, there are players out there in every single position that are as good as or better than the players that we've got at Leicester City. So if one becomes available at the right price and it's the right kind of... Uh, character as well as the right kind of ability then absolutely you're going to improve your squad by bringing that person in because 
let's be perfectly honest, Danny Ward isn't pushing Kasper Schmeichel for the number one spot. And Schmeichel's not getting any younger. I'm not saying we need a replacement for him. But if you bring somebody in, you look at, say, Chelsea, for example, who have got the world's most expensive goalkeeper warming their bench and, and quite often this season has been third choice. You look at Manchester United, who had one of the Premier League's best performing goalkeepers in Dean Henderson last season. He's warming the bench because they've got De Gea. You know, they've got two international goalkeepers there. And yes, Danny Ward's an international as well. But, you know, he's not seriously pushing Schmeichel. So any position, really, that would improve the squad for the right price, the right kind of player, then absolutely go for it. Winger, I don't think, is an outstanding position now in the sense that we brought in Cengiz Under and we talked in the summer about about needing a winger. Um but also because we have very much now stubbornly stuck to the wing-back system. And when you're playing wing-backs, you are expecting that wing-back to do a lot of the work out wide, both defensively and offensively. So your need for out-and-out actual wingers is significantly less. So you you see instantly in, in when we've got the, the, the proper wing-backs playing that... that Harvey Barnes naturally drifts more inside and you can play that then as a 3-4-1-2 you can play it as a 3-4-3 similar to Liverpool you know it's it's quite a flexible system in which out and out wingers don't particularly thrive you almost want somebody who's a bit more like an inside forward so let's say a Cengiz under and a Harvey Barnes playing centrally more centrally, either side of the central striker, Jamie Vardy. So I don't think a winger is a, is a particular a paramount importance at this stage. But if one becomes available on the market who would improve the squad, then absolutely. The striking position is an important one. And I think Leicester right now, we've talked about this for probably years on the podcast. What happens at Leicester? What is life after Jamie Vardy? But previously... We've played a sort of system where a good few years ago, Vardy would have a strike partner and it would usually be somebody who was slightly different to him. The the Okazaki would sit deeper. He'd sit on their deep line midfielder. He'd win you some free kicks. He'd work hard and he wouldn't necessarily score the goals because that's what Jamie Vardy's there for. And then if he was playing with Leo Ajoa, Ajoa's a bit more of a target man. You would expect him to get his head on the ball for crosses. Possibly you can go a little bit more direct with, and, and he'll make the ball stick a little bit more. But was he trying to replace Jamie Vardy? No. Now we're playing with this sort of three-man attack a lot of the time. You could bring in a striker that is fairly similar to Jamie Vardy and you could play them both together at times. I'm not saying every time. But you could play them both in a front three or, you know, so so from a tactical point of view, it's possible that you don't now have to say to this player, right, you're going to come, but you're only going to start when Vardy's not fit because there's only space for one in the team. The, the system that we play is fluid enough now. Look at Liverpool the, 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 the last week, for example, Jota was undroppable, but Firmino plays pretty much every game as part of the front three. So they just started both of them. And that's a position that we could be in. Also, from a fixture point of view, it's unlikely that Vardy is going to get through 90 minutes on a weekend and 90 minutes on a Thursday night. So, provided you can still offer Europa League football come January, um, which we're looking in a good position to be able to do, then that's an offer that you can make to the striker that comes in and you can say, look, 
Okay, you might not be starting week in, week out in the Premier League at the moment, but Jamie Vardy's 34. Jamie Vardy can't play, well, can, can not always play 180 minutes a week. So you're going to get your opportunities. Whereas before, you're playing just in the Premier League. You're playing ultimately where you can only have one striker of that kind. And it's not a very attractive prospect for a striker to come in. I think we're in a good position now to offer the right kind of package to the right kind of striker. And Edouard is is absolutely a name that I'd be interested in in seeing in a Leicester shirt. Yeah, I think your final, uh, use the word package there. Look at Leicester as a club now. And I, I think Edouard's a very good player. But m- maybe we're looking... And and we're not going to do a huge scouting. The question was asked, who do you think? And that was a player that I think would would really do very well at Leicester. But then you look at, say, the Fafana signing and you just look, kind of look how the club is and where we're going. Maybe that will be the the ultra signing. Who knows? Who knows whether when the button is pressed through necessity or just through the wear and tear has got to Vardy and or, or maybe a loss of form even and a player goes, say like an Iniacho or whoever, um, and we need that centre forward. Maybe the button is pressed to go, we've signed a Yuri Tillemans, we've we've signed a Wesley Fafana, we've spent the thirty to thirty five million pound bracket. Maybe we then go up. Maybe we go to fifty or sixty million pounds. Who knows? Maybe that new number nine at Leicester could be a huge signing. Whether they're a success, we'll find out. But that might be that next level. Maybe it's in the pipeline. Maybe they're looking at two or three players. And 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 Brendan knows that if needs be, that the the owners will push that boat out even further beyond many Leicester fans' kind of expectation of players. Who knows? There is a, an interesting question. Uh, Dave Loosby says, do you think the players have an inferior complex with certain teams playing the likes of Liverpool and Man United? We just seem to give them too much respect and continually back off. Now, I don't think so. I think you can look at the sides that we played this year and the results speak for themselves. The Arsenal game. I would I would have put Arsenal in that bracket, but no longer. Man City the results we've had over the years, but also the win now. No, not at all. I do think, and I'll just go back to the point that Liverpool really have the hoodoo over Leicester, and I think it's mainly down to Liverpool. I think that they are right up for games against Leicester. Um, for whatever reason, but I think that is, I think they realise how, how good a team and how we can hurt them unless they are absolutely on the ball. But, I think maybe that's crept into Leicester for just this team. I don't think there's any other team in the league. I don't think there's any team really out there, apart from Liverpool. I think now, after this game, it might have crept into a few players. When we play Liverpool, they are just on the ball. And I think that happens against any side that you get, well, let's get it right, completely stuffed by uh, twice, or twice on the bounce, say. Um, I think that's the case. Even if you play against a side lower down the league that just happens to turn you over two matches on the run yeah you could maybe say hang on they've got the kind of thing over us and do we have a bit of a bit of an issue with this side now um I think that's an easy thing to say but I think with Liverpool you might be onto something but I wouldn't say it's a problem that's really affected the entire side I think it might just be this this one team and if you look down the league and you go yeah we've got an issue and it's against Liverpool 
well, and that's the only side. That's not quite as bad, really, as maybe having three or four, is it? So, uh, but I, I think it is creeping into the side against them. It's a mentality thing, though, really, isn't it? Because you know, we we should have gone into that game on Sunday saying we're top of the league, we're going to come and bring the game to you, and I think that was the attempted approach, but it didn't just it just didn't quite come off. And, and Liverpool have the mentality of champions. They've just won the Premier League. They're, they are in incredible home form. And they didn't really ever believe that they were going to get anything other than a win out of that game, whereas Leicester was still asking themselves some questions. And I've, I've talked about this on previous podcasts, so I won't go into it in too much detail this time. But it is that ne- that is it is one of the final steps from being a, 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 a high-performing middle-sized club to actually being one of the established top four top six clubs and the infrastructure is going the right way the package that we just sort of alluded to there is is looking more and more attractive but until you have the mentality where you go into each game genuinely believing or even some cases knowing that you're going to win the game then there are still going to be those those performances like Sunday and those possible hoodoos against certain clubs yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned package and the club, and we will be moving to the new training ground soonish. I don't, th- uh, uh, maybe even the new year, even. May, uh, and I presume that's the case. In fact, with maybe just the amount of games coming up over Christmas, etc. Maybe they are waiting until the new year. Um, but also the ground redevelopments. Now, if you're not on social media, if you're not on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, then maybe you haven't seen these pictures. Now, are they official? I don't think so, but they've gone round, and we haven't retweeted them. We haven't uh, put them on Facebook, but if you look for them, you will find them. It's not that hard to come across them, and um, and I actually I won't uh, retweet them to be honest from the for Fox sake Twitter account mainly or the Facebook as well, mainly because I don't think that they are real. Now, that's a fifty fifty call, and that's out of personal opinion. They've not been they've not been officially. Uh, released they have not been officially kind of nicked from a company's portfolio of designs or of proposed redevelopments for clubs or shopping centers or whatever um i have no idea where they've come from perfectly honest but i've looked at them and gone well if it's if that's the case and it's very fun and exciting to look at them and to speculate but uh, uh j- just that's my two penneth worth now if they are real they are real there you go and um, I don't know. Have you have you seen them first of all, Rob? And if you have, do you think they're real? Because that's just my complete opinion. And I could well be wrong because I've been wrong in the past a thousand million times. Well, it's if you're new to the podcast, it's one thing that we do say on our social media channels. Yes, you'll you'll read a lot of our personal rubbish, and you will hear on the podcast lots of our opinions. But you know, we we're not here to sort of churn out any kind of mildly Leicester City related tweet or social media post. It's it's not what our what our social media channels are for. So that's one of the reasons why you won't have seen it on our particular Twitter handle or Facebook page. They look very impressive. So if they're not real, um then it's clearly somebody with an with an ability in computer-aided design, that kind of thing, to, to create something like that. Now, 
whether they're real or not, like we can we can cast our opinion over the pictures themselves, and they look very impressive. It's it's along the lines of of kind of tidbits of information that have possibly filtered out from fairly reliable sources in the past, in that the expansion is likely to be um, one stand and it's likely to be extended back and then underneath that to create some kind of fan, not necessarily village, but one to essentially improve um, and enhance the overall match day offering. Um, whether it's on as grand a scale as that and and whether it looks exactly like that, I don't know. But that, that seems to be the sort of idea, especially since it's it's got to be a gradual process, the growth of this club. And... Yes, our our sort of reach in terms of fan base is widening uh, nationally, probably less so, but internationally, definitely. But you still you've got to have a certain number of spectators to be able to fill the seats in order to warrant expanding the stadium. So the likelihood is that they might try with another another 10,000 maybe on on the back of an existing stand and see how that goes, because. Leicester's a f- not a massive city, really, and yes, you will have some people travelling, but to b- to build a club of the of and a, and a fan base of the size that's going to regularly sell out stadiums of fifty, sixty thousand is going to take a while, and it's going to be a gradual process. So, I think that that image looks very grand. It looks along the lines of some of the suggestions we've heard in the past, and if it looks like that in a couple of years' time. Wonderful. You try and keep me away, but um, it's 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 kind of nice to speculate. Maybe it's somebody who, during lockdown who's got a bit uh, of additional time on their hands. But it, it it does look very impressive, doesn't it? Yeah. The the one thing that's um, that kind of uh, I, I think the the reason I think it's 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 fake is purely because there's been no source. That's my first thing. Is there's no source. Where have they come from? Well, if you've got the pictures from somewhere, then you can put out, oh, this is the link to the company's website who designs these things. These are the links to the Leicester City website or wherever. The fact that they've just appeared, well, where have they come from? That Any any picture would be that. A, a player holding a football shirt saying, I've signed for Leicester. Well, hang on, where's the link to the official... It's it. Nothing is real, especially on the internet, unless there is the... Uh, the the official link etc. So first of all, pretty much every single thing I'd say would be well, where's proof? There's no proof. Okay, don't take it as gospel. The one thing that interests me was the two stairwells leading up from the to the east stand. That's what I've heard from the the people that we've seen at the ground and we talked to, um, who have been in official discussions that there was going to be that kind of two huge staircases up to a middle platform where the fans will go. So there won't be fans kind of congregating at ground level in the East End, uh, ground level where all the bars, etc. will be kind of one story up. That will be the baseline. And, um, and, and so the design that ha- has that. So that kind of interests me. So I went, that's roughly what we heard would be the case. Um, and then you've got the bubble factor across the top. Very nice. Well, you know, by now you probably have the ability to play, you know, kind of video on that now. You have a, Var- a 70 foot Vardy scoring a goal or whatever. Fantastic. And then the wraparound on the sides, you know, all looks like the, it, it, the, the plan was 
on these images alone to you know to tart up the rest of the ground and inside it, it looks like um and computer designs even on um official ones they when it looks to the inside of the ground and the seats it always looks a bit weird but it looked a bit too right we'll just shove those there and there's nothing else inside the ground it's all externally uh, and that's kind of that, that kind of peaked my kind of eyebrows i went mm, not too sure also we don't know what the official capacity would be initially and again in the discussions i am trying to cast my mind back because it's quite a long time ago now in fact it's probably about a year ago um the, the rumors were and, and the likelihood was it would be over 40,000 around about the 42 there's been rumors on the internet recently that it's going to be 48 I'd be surprised quite delighted really but I'd be surprised if it's going to be as high as that I and the initial rumors that I heard from again people at the club who have been in discussion um, mainly through uh, disabled access that's where the discussions kind of lie Um, and it was going to be around 42,000 now just the, the inside images alone didn't look like an extra 10,000 seats for me. So, you know, we shall see. And if those are the final plans, those are the final plans, and we'll all kind of rub our hands together and get excited because it is very exciting. Yes, the training ground's exciting, but the likelihood is lots of us won't ever see the training ground. The king power is what we want. And, and the, also the expansion around it, all the, you know, the the better access, the, the, um, the new kind of... Uh, eating areas and the bars and the places that many fans would have seen at other clubs and a, a museum would love to see that there and, and hopefully, fingers crossed, you never know, a bit of money spent on Filbert Street which I know has got all sorts of issues and most of them, in fact 99.9% are nothing to do with the football club it's about the people who own it etc who don't need to spend the money because they're just there for the flats etc but uh, we shall see the one thing though Rob the one big thing that we do know is that with the return of Premier League football, there is the return of the for Fox 8 podcast Fantasy Football League. Let's hear the music. The top 10 then of the for Fox 8 podcast uh, fancy football league down into 10th place on 558 points it's stay home eat out get fat ian barker in ninth place a non-mover dave loosby heard from earlier with a question with real so so bad 560 points in eighth place on 562 points a non-mover martin summers with hammersmith Hardmen. up into seventh place on 564 points it's John Almira with Sagres United. Up into 6th place, 569 points. It's Rob Ford with Gardner's Delight. Into the top 5. In 5th place, down into 5th, 572 points. It's Drake Martin with Drake Water. In 4th place, up into 4th, 575 points. It's uh, Islin Weltsin with Benzin. In third place, a non-mover, 587 points. It's Kieran Ford with Vardy is my king. A non-mover in second place on 593 points. It's me with Frank Sinclair own goal. And remaining at the top on 598 points, five points clear, it's tailor-made Luke Taylor, top of the league. 
Rob, I remain in second, but before the last two games, so on Sunday night, on Monday afternoon, I was top. And I knew I would get overtaken, even if I had a decent score in the two games on Monday. But I thought, at one point, I really had a chance of being top for the first time. Hopefully next week. Now, if I don't end up winning, fine. But I would like to be top for one week, so I could get that played all the time. No, no, so I could just have that as, you know, a nice memory. When I saw during the weekend's play that you were top at one stage, I, I almost was going to refuse to come on the podcast. But I'm, I won't say I'm pleased that you've been knocked off your perch a little bit. And, I, you know, it'd be a nice little thing to uh, hang on your wall with your uh, Glasgow 2014 Commonwealth Games memorabilia and all of your, your Premier League title um, stuff. It would be nice to have a screenshot of you top of the league one week after an entire game week in fantasy football. Um, uh, today, right now, as we're recording, is the first time I've checked the... Fantasy football since last night, Monday night's fixtures. So as you were winding up the top 10, I just realised my app's updated as well. So it, it, I had to log in again. So you got you got to about number seven or number six as you were reading through them before I had it in front of me. And for, the, for those few seconds, I was thinking, please, please not Pete at the top, please. And then when I finally got it up and I could see the top 10 and you were you were still in second, I was... I gave a tiny little cheer inside, but as I said the other week as well, I am I am behind you and I do want you to, to fly the flag for the podcast because I've slipped dramatically and I'm almost outside the top 100, which is not a great place to be. I didn't have an awful week. It was a very average whoa, whoa, week. Whoa, 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 whoa. I only scored you, a few you, points you, less than you, but I'm now about 100 behind. You can't turn around and say... Oh God, I can't. I, I would have hated it if you were top. Oh, I was. I'm delighted that you were. Da, 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 da. And then at the end of it, go. Well, actually, it would be good for the podcast if one of us were top. And I'm, I fully support you. I mean, I'm oh allowed my God. to be taught. I'm allowed to be in two minds about this from a from a <laughs> podcast from a podcast branding point of view. I would love you to be near the top. From a Pete versus Rob point of view, I don't want you anywhere near it. Oh my God! You've got to be delighted for me, mainly because of your dreadful performance yourself. You know you're not going to get it. Where are you? Ninety fourth in the league. I mean, my dad's nearly above you in the league, and he hasn't entered this year. So, like, it's uh, it, it it surely it's got to be a joint effort now. And and you know, you know, Rob, that I will not rub it in if I win this. You know, I I did take a screenshot. I did, um, um, and I was very close to sending it to you and everyone that I know, but there we go. Uh, the one thing that actually got me was I was inside the top 10,000 in the whole world out of 7.5 million, but um, that's gone slightly wrong now. But anyway, that's the, uh, for fuck's sake, Fantasy Football Podcast, uh, podcast Fantasy Football League. We better stop that before we have an argument, but uh, yeah, I'm after you at the top of the league. Where is it again? Let's just bring it up one more time. Keep on clicking on the wrong one because, uh, yeah, Luke Taylor. Hmm. I'm still convinced it's the Luke Taylor I know, but uh, he hasn't responded as yet. So that's the fancy football. We've mentioned the competition winner, Bruce, and hopefully he gets his shirt soon. Um, finally, Rob, we better look forward to a few games. Um, and by the way, the competition winner, um, the shirt provided by uh, Football Kit Markets com our fantastic sponsor of the podcast so if you haven't yet gone over because they've got actually at the moment i think it's like one pound fifty for delivery all the way through december 
on shirts. And if you go onto footballkitmarket.com, if you follow them at footykitmarket on Twitter, uh, then you can go in there, you can type in Leicester City, you can type in any club, and you can find shirts from pretty much most seasons, any kind of random shirt over history, shirts from around the world, anywhere really. And it's a great place to be able to buy those shirts, but also I think you can sell them on there as well. There's all sorts of options. So if you do have a number of shirts you want to sell, etc., and you want to sell it direct to football fans, then Football Kit Market is the best place. So head to footballkitmarket.com and uh, give them a check out to help us with the podcast. Just give them a look-see. And, uh, and if you fancy anything, there you go. It's all on there. But we better look forward because we've got a couple of games coming up before we do the next podcast. And they are away at Braga and at home against Fulham. Two very different games. Braga on Thursday nights or Thursday evening is it the 5.55 kickoff, and then the early game on Monday as well. It will be, what, 5.30 kickoff, 5 o'clock kickoff in the Premier League. Both, uh, one on BT, one on Sky Sports, thankfully, because it would have been one of the... It's in that pay-per-view slot, but it's not pay-per-view anymore. And, um, and well, it's, three from three in Europe, I expect a different side. I, I think it's very easy now to look at the front three and go, well, we can play Cengiz under, we can play Ayesi Perez, possibly. We could play um, Kelechi... Inacho in the centre, and then behind them, maybe bring in one or two players um, who are coming back from injuries, uh, trying to rest one or two, etc. I still think they will play a strong side because the next game after this will be away in the Ukraine at Zoria, and I think if that's if there's ever a chance to leave players behind, to not take Vardy, to not take Tillemans, etc., maybe even the goalkeeper, and that will be the game. So I think they might be, and also be looking at Fulham as well. And there's the extra game, uh, the extra day to the Monday. I think they'll still play a very, very strong side here. And on that premise, look, lads, go out there, win this game, and if you win the game, then there's a great chance that a number of you will not go on that plane to the Ukraine and you'll have a day off for example it's a real kind of carrot yes the European football is a carrot yes just playing for Leicester City is a carrot but they, they could well be that in the offering for this game this is one of the benefits of having quite a congested fixture list yes we've had the international break and what have you but the fact that losing to Liverpool on Sunday evening can be so quickly put to the back of your mind and has to be so quickly quickly put to the back of your mind because you've got another game to prepare for on Thursday. I know they'll analyse the Liverpool game and see where they went wrong um, pretty much everywhere. And uh, but, but then the focus this week will be on preparing for Thursday afternoon's game and making sure that three points are collected from Braga to basically put us through to the knockouts of the Europa League with a couple of games to spare. It it would, I mean, it depends on the, the physical uh, recovery of the players after Sunday. It depends um, on how Brendan Rodgers thinks certain individuals or, or the collective will respond to that defeat on Sunday as to what exactly the, the lineup and the approach is come Thursday against Braga. Because if it's a case of all of the players saying, look, I'm fit, I'm fresh, that was a that was a lapse from everybody. We want to get straight back on it and and get going again. We want to play Thursday. Then there's a lot of merit in in playing them. But equally, if you want to give a couple of players a game off, 
then then there are players waiting in the wings to come and step into that, be it players that are on the periphery like somebody like Chowdhury and Acho or possibly one or two players to, to slot back in after absences. So I agree with you. It needs to be a, a, a strong enough team to get a positive result because then you can start to think about resting players, key players for, for the remaining couple of group games. Um, there is, as you say, the the additional day uh, in terms of the Fulham game, which may play into the hands of putting out a few more of what you would call the the mainstay players against Braga because they've got a bit of recovery time until uh, they play against Fulham. But ultimately, come come Thursday, the Liverpool game's gone, isn't it? I mean, for for us, certainly for the players, it will already have been gone. It will have been analysed, I would imagine, yesterday. And today we'll be focusing on preparing for, for Braga. So it's a good opportunity to get straight back on it to, in a different competition as well uh, and just get back to winning ways it's it's probably on balance the most difficult of the six group games that we're going to play in the in the Europa League yes you've got the traveling against sorry Lahansk but as an op, as an opponent they're not they're not great whereas Braga at home particularly with the way that the, that we picked them apart quite simply at times at, at the King Power w- will prove to be a, t- a tough task they're a good footballing side at home in response to losing to us, they won't want that to happen again. So it's going to be a tough task. Fulham, on the other hand, uh, I watched their televised game on uh, on the BBC against Everton, and they are absolutely there to be got at. They like to try and play football, which massively plays against them. It, it, it's their downfall. They like to try and play out from the back. They absolutely have not got the personnel to be doing that. So our press which failed so miserably against Liverpool on Sunday because they're outstanding players, our press against Fulham should provide us with ample opportunities to score plenty of goals. Um, I'd be very, very surprised if we didn't score two or three and win comfortably at home to Fulham on Monday. And to be perfectly honest with you, on Thursday against Braga, if we come back with a point and a, and a solid performance, I'd be happy because it's one step closer to the knockouts. Yeah, I agree with the, or with with both sentiments really. I think there is a, a a real fillet as well for for those players playing on Thursday. And he might say this in the press, he might say this behind the scenes, but you go out there and perform. We've just done the back of a, a really poor performance. I know the team's been playing very well, but it was a real dismal effort against Liverpool. Look, you go and play really well against Braga. You notch a couple of goals. You. Uh, under out wide score set up a few run them ragged then you'll get a starting berth against Fulham it, it's it is that competitive now and uh, and it, and it's there for the players along with what I said with the the trip to Zoya I think it's gonna be a, a very difficult game against Braga I think they'll learn an awful lot from Leicester and on the back of a poor performance what you don't want and we've not really mentioned it so far is it to from one performance to roll into two to three to four I don't think it will. I think Leicester will play well on Thursday. I I think it's going to be a very difficult game. Even if Leicester turn up and play to their best, I think it still will be difficult. And a point would be probably sufficient overall in the group, but I think it would be a good point. And we would come back and go, yeah, fine, and go into the game against Fulham, hopefully full of confidence, and take the game to Fulham. They are, again, a 
echo your thoughts. They're there for the taking. They really are. Get an early goal, they can fall apart. And it's a chance for the players on Monday to make up for what happened at Anfield. And that could well be the team talk. And then you look forward to the fixtures coming up and the fixtures do look quite favourable. And hopefully that can then push Leicester back towards the top because at the moment it's a real scramble, the Premier League. It's it's such an exciting division this year. It's, it's There's hardly anything between between an awful lot of the sides and just bringing up the Premier League table at the moment. And Leicester in fourth, what, a couple of points behind Tottenham and Liverpool. Chelsea there alongside Leicester on 18. Southampton 17. Uh, Everton on 16. Then 15 points with a game in hand Villa. Um, so conceivably could be on 18 alongside Leicester. Uh, and then you're not too far back to the likes of West Ham, Wolves, Manchester United on 13 points in 10th. So it's a very open league. And we're not even mentioning Man City. Where are they? 13th place on 12 points. I mean, you expect them to turn that round at some points. And a win against Fulham and a positive result against Braga, I would easily then turn around and go, and, I, and I'll say it now again, the Liverpool game really doesn't matter. And we'll cross that hurdle when we play them again. Get a good win or a point in Braga, beat Fulham, and whatever ha- whatever's just happened at Anfield, for me, Rob, just does not matter at all. Mm-hmm.